there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Okay, let's do this. So this is uh, another episode. Welcome, guys and girls. So before I start, a few bits of housekeeping. So I know this isn't a radio show, it's uh, it's a podcast, but um, I'm taking a little bit of liberty to uh, do a little request uh, to, if not the most, definitely in the top 1% of my listenership, uh, Vinnie Crossan, congratulations to you and your wife, Deirdre, on the birth of uh, Maisie, uh, Maisie Crossan, this, uh, earlier this week. So while I'd say Vinnie is 100% happier, he's probably going to be 50% more tired in the near future, but all worth it. And thanks for listening to the show on a regular basis. So cheers, Vinnie couple of other things i am some might have already seen my uh, introduction to instagram uh, video so i'm gonna try and use that a little bit more to promote the show because it has such a broad reach and i'm gonna give it a go get a bit more comfortable with that um certainly try to reduce the amount of times i'm playing with my face or sniffling and stuff like that so it's a it's a good learning and a bit of fun so more there coming and finally as always uh, thanks so much for feedback as you know the show isn't sponsored and uh, not making any dollars out of it certainly as of yet um some sponsorship uh, from from a beer perspective by St. Mel's when, when I was down recording with them, drinking some of their fine ales, so that was good. Uh, so another shout out to all of those guys. But uh, I'm toying with new ideas, so I'm going to figure out lots of new stuff that's coming over the next while, a bunch of new shows lined up to record. And uh, just over the last week or so, while I was flying a little bit with work, I did a lot of editing of shows that are coming up, and uh, the one today is one of those. So, so lots more good stuff to come, but uh, always trying to improve, and your feedback is very welcome. So this week's episode is with Ben Pridmore. So Ben is a three-time world memory champion, and he uh, he's a very interesting character. I reached out to him after reading or listening to an audiobook called Moonwalking with Einstein, which is all about the memory championships and, and how you actually can train your, your memory to uh, memorize huge amounts of things. So I was very interested in that. Uh, ben was featured in the book. So I reached out and it was delighted to, uh, to have an hour plus long conversation with him. So we talk all about how we got into uh, the memory championships uh, he kind of was very open and honest and said he doesn't have the best memory in the world but for for the purposes of these championships which is like a decathlon of events he was uh, able to train his brain to to memorize decks of cards uh, down to under under 30 seconds which is phenomenal and so much more so I have a, a good detailed overview in the show notes, but we talk all about his successes in that. He's uh, quite a humble guy, funny guy, self-deprecating, lots of interesting facts and um, anecdotes along the way. The really cool part uh, that we kind of touched at the very end was he was in a music video uh, for DJ Shadow called Scale It Back. You can check it out on YouTube. I'll, I'll share the link yeah, it was a really interesting one, and I definitely got some cool tips out of it. I'm going to do a, a July challenge myself of trying to see how quickly I can learn or memorize a deck of cards. Uh, it's all about creating this kind of memory palace that we will talk about. It's something you could use in uh, meeting new people and in general just potentially apply in your day-to-day -day life and make yourself that little bit better. So I'll leave it there. Enjoy this episode. And... Um, 
I can't wait to hear some feedback. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Okay, so so Ben, welcome to the the One Percent Better podcast. Thanks so much for agreeing to uh, come on the show. Um, I think it's my third or fourth guest now over over Skype. So uh, the magic of the interweb is um, connecting us. Thanks for having me. I must say, I never use Skype myself, so I'm always skeptical about this fancy modern technology. <laughs> seems to be working okay tonight, though. Yeah, no, it seems to be going going good. Um, so Ben. I guess in, in my intro, I would have touched on how uh, how I managed to uh, connect with you. We're, we're talking about memory, something I think everybody pretty much has, or, or some amount of it anyway. And as I probably said in the intro, you're you're the first world champion I've had on the podcast, so that's another another uh, milestone. Um, so talk to me, just you know, at a high level, memory and being a memory world champion. How did that all happen? Well, there's a very long story behind it. Basically, I've been the world memory champion three times now, 2004, 2008, 2009. It wasn't something I ever set out in life to become. I didn't know there was such a thing as the world memory championship until around 1998 when I heard about it in passing. I heard mention of memory techniques and the basic principles that people use, but I sort of dismissed them out of hand as being the kind of thing people have made up to sell books, not something that actually worked. Mm-hmm. But I did find myself with a spare moment or two in the year 2000, and I decided to compete in the World Memory Championships just to see what it was like. Um, still not using any kind of techniques, relying on my natural memory, which isn't all that good. And I finished somewhere near the bottom of the field. But um, in the course of it, I'd got talking to some of the other competitors. They convinced me that these things did work, and I gave it a try. And frankly, I've been addicted ever since. That was 17 years ago now, and I'm still more or less going strong at it. Excellent. And when when you entered that first, was it, so you said you entered the World Championships, but I presume you probably had to do qualifi- qualification to get to the World Championships? You'd think, wouldn't you? But no, um, oh. in those days, the World Memory Championship was a very small-scale thing. Um, it's only started out in 1991, and though they called it the World Championship, it was contested by seven English people in London, and I think everybody who'd heard that such a thing existed was in the room at the time. That's so... Um, it was it was building up gradually. It's become a worldwide thing since then. But in 2000, it was still very much turn up on the day and take part. So um, that's what I did. Excellent. It's like the uh, the World Series baseball. It's it's only competed in, in the US, I guess. Um, that's true, but that's named after a newspaper called The World. It's not actually claiming to be the World Championship. Uh, all right. Okay. I'm learning more as we go here. So I'm sorry. That's one of my things. I memorize stupid trivia and I turn them no, out in conversation no. to make people clever it doesn't work well it's it's working well so far but uh no i'm looking forward to hearing more of those um little anecdotes as as we go through so so typically we kind of look back in you know in the early years of of my guests lives and what they aspire to be when when they grew up so judging by what you just said the uh the world champion of of memory wasn't uh number one on your kind of university course or something like that no (laughs) no it wasn't um I didn't really have any serious aspirations growing up. I've spent my life drifting around and basically doing whatever people tell me to do and um, stumbling into things by accident, which is how I became the world memory champion, which has worked out quite nicely for me. Um, So I can't complain about the hand life's dealt me, but I can't equally claim that there's any kind of deliberate intention gone into it. Um, I was a nerdy type as a kid. I was intellectual, intelligent, got decent results in exams on those rare occasions I could be bothered to do any work for it. But um, dropped out of university, got a job as an accountant, 
and um, sort of waited around for something interesting to happen. And when it did, you know, I was quite surprised. So you were growing up, you had an interest in certain things. Did, did kind of memorising certain things happen even at a young age before it became kind of that sort of ha- passion? No, I've tried to search my history for some example of me memorising something, but I can't really come up with anything useful. I remember once, when I was 12 years old maybe, I memorised a poem for the, a school competition Mm. got a round of applause for that, and that's about as far as I can go. Someone else who I went to school with, who I'm friends with on Facebook now, tells me that there was a memory game we were doing at school once, and I won it. But I don't actually remember that, not even slightly. There's a kind of a paradox in that in itself, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, no. My memory is terrible. I have not got a good memory. I'm described as a world memory champion, but the memory championship competitions only deal with a very, very specific aspect of memory. Yeah. It's about remembering long numbers packs of playing cards, things like that, mm. regurgitated them shortly afterwards. Okay. Um, it's nothing to do with remembering useful things, which is good, because I'm hopeless at that. I'm famously bad at remembering people's names or what people look like. I have a bit of a mental block about that, and I'm constantly teased about it by other memory people. It's interesting, because I, from what I do know about it, from listening or reading the, the book, the, the Moonwalking with Einstein, and again, we'll get into the kind of memory palace and whatnot later, I hope, but it... it a lot of it is around visualising and kind of creating visual, I suppose, walkthroughs, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It's all, it's all about um, creativity and imagination as much as anything else, about being able to picture things in your head, remember those pictures. A lot of people, when I say I'm an accountant, they say, oh, well, you memorise numbers as well, so naturally you're good at that. I mm. think that the things are completely and totally separate. You know, I spend my day job moving numbers from one place to another on spreadsheets. I spend my spare time creating pictures, stories, fantasies in my head relating to numbers and only tangentially relating to numbers because I no longer really see the numbers when I'm looking at a list of numbers to memorise. I see the pictures they represent. It's more like learning to read in a different language than anything else. Hmm. So when I did a bit of research, I, I found that it said here that you had an IQ of 159 and puts you in the genius range. Is that is that true? Uh, technically it's true, yes. Or at least it's as true as IQ tests get, which is not very true. Um, I Basically, I took the Mensa test when I was 17, 18, something like that. Um, I wanted to have a Mensa membership card and show off, <laughs> which um, was good fun for a couple of years. But then, you know, I got bored with having to pay a membership fee, so I've not been a Mensa member for donkey's years now, nor have I had an IQ test since then. Uh, but um, 159 was the number it came out with, and that's what I quote if people ask me for my IQ. But I think the whole thing's a load of garbage, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, IQ tests are meant to represent pure intelligence, but the way they're shaped, they're more, there's a lot more focus on underlying knowledge. If you go into an IQ test knowing the kind of very limited number of puzzles that you'll get, you can bump your score up 10, 20, 30 points without too much difficulty at all. Yeah, so it'll be like taking, I remember doing a, an aptitude test for for um, kind of a job interview coming out of college and I did crap in the first one and then about two weeks later I did an, another for another job but it was very much similar and I did really well in that one because I had that bit of Exactly, you know, that bit of practice, so. yeah. There's a lot of, um, not just IQ tests, but um, tests out there that are meant to indicate what kind of personality you are and I know a lot of job interviews do these things once. I actually applied for a job quite a while ago I mean it was with somebody who's worked with me before that's how I always get jobs but um, 
they made me do one of these tests and the personnel woman called me the, the next day and said she was totally worried about the results because it made me out to be completely unsuitable for the job, even though they knew I'd be good at it. <laughs> I didn't take the job just because I don't believe in people relying on that kind of test. But Yeah, so those ones are probably, I guess now in, I would hope, more and more tests are touching more on EQ than IQ, <clears throat> which you know kind of gives more of a, a right brain perspective as the maybe the left brain IQ is probably more. Uh, I don't analytical. get asked about the whole right brain left brain thing. <laughs> we might get into that. <laughs> I'm sorry, you probably bit. noticed in the course of this interview, my natural reaction to everything is to be sceptical and condemnatory of absolutely everything that anybody's ever written an article about or a book about. Okay. This was my attitude when it came to memory techniques as well, and I've eaten humble pie about that, but it hasn't stopped me being so um, dismissive of everything else since then. But I think there is pretty extensive paperwork and documentation and research that proves the whole left brain right brain idea is um nonsense it doesn't really work really so mm. they say yes well so some people say other yeah. people say the exact opposite of course well i just quietly laugh at all of them well i think uh, every every fact is is set up there to be uh, disproved over time and it tends to be disproved and a new fact comes along and then that gets disproved further down the road so um it's hard to know what to believe i suppose at any any point in time but uh it's i'm more open i, I kind of try to bring things uh, a beginner's mindset to a lot of things and uh I'm open to change, though. That's important as well. I do apologise if I offend any of your deeply held beliefs, especially if they're entirely true and un- unarguable. No, no, it's I, the kind of thing I do. So apologies in advance. It's okay. I'm going to cling to the EQ, uh, emotional intelligence stuff because it is the area that I feel most comfortable in. And uh, you said accountancy, so you dropped out of college. What did you do in college? Uh, French and German, believe it or not. Okay. It was more because um, nobody expected me to do that. I was always a maths person at school. So I was sort of, that's my teenage rebellion. Screw you, parents, I'm going to university to study applied European languages. I made a terrible tearaway, I really did, but um, I realised after a year or so that it was a shocking waste of time and money, so I dropped out and got a job as a trainee accountant. Okay, but but I guess even in even in language, right, there's, there's structure and um, it's not... I think if you learn a language, like maths can be a language in, in its own way as well. Oh, or, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So there probably was some some logic behind picking it, or was there, or you just think it was purely just to piss people off? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I don't think there was any logic behind anything I've ever done in my life, but then people always say nonsense to me when I say that. Yeah, I think. Do you believe in the subconscious? Uh, no, it's another thing I'm wildly sceptical about, I'm afraid. <laughs> you'll, you'll be you'll be realizing that quite a lot with i'm all seeing a pattern saying, yeah, a pa- pattern is emerging i think but i would say you know I, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not going to do any psychoanalysis of you at all but uh, i do i would say certain things come up that you're probably led towards and you're not maybe aware i suppose intuition was is that something that you would be you would agree or believe in it's um it's entirely possible of course that i'm I've had some kind of subconscious master plan guiding my life. I prefer to ascribe anything I have achieved in life to pure dumb luck. It's more fun that way. You're, you've, you're very humble. You're very humble. Some people always say that about me. It's something I've got a reputation of in memory circles and worldwide indeed. People say I'm so humble and modest. I don't believe I am. I think I'm honest about never having done anything worthy of commendation. But hey, that's just me. I'm not fishing for compliments when I say that. I'm generally... 
No, no, like bewildered when people do compliment me. I can I can detect the uh, the, the the sincerity in your voice, uh, <clears throat> but uh, it's you know you obviously you're a world champion, and I'm bigging it up anyway because I said it's the first one I've had in the show, so that's good enough for me. But it's uh, nice to know. I'm sorry if I'm a disappointment to you. No, no, so far so good. So, so you, were your parents kind of an influence, or were they pushing you in one direction? You kind of, as you said, rebellious there, or did uh, did you have influences growing up? Uh, not so much. I mean, my parents were both teachers. They split up when I was quite young. I grew up with my dad, and he was um, an intelligent person, but very easygoing. He didn't really put pressure on me to do anything. I still felt the need to rebel, as I said, but only by doing things that he'd never even considered suggesting I do, like languages. Okay. Um, it's not like I, he ever expressed anything that I, he wouldn't allow me to do. Yeah. But the, and I suppose outside of the circle of your family, was there growing up you were influenced by anyone, even in person or even over, you know, over through reading or just a, in the broader scheme of things that you uh, admired, maybe that you took something from? You see, I'm trying to think of people who've inspired me when I was younger, and I'm drawing a blank at the moment. That's probably just because my memory is so bad, but. Um... <laughs> Did you have? Well, I'm trying to try to jog Sorry, what was that you were saying? No, I was just I was just trying to see if there was kind of things that we could uh, conjure up that like interests that you had. Was there was there an interest? You said you were kind of geeky or nerdy, or was there? Um... I was yes, geeky in the um, 1980s kind of way before computers came along, before the internet existed properly. Yeah, so but, even... um, I played a lot of chess. Oh. I read a lot of superhero comics. Yeah, yeah. You don't do at chess, but I haven't played chess for donkey's years. I was always very bad at it. And now, because I've had got this reputation for being a memory champion and things, whenever I meet someone, they naturally assume, oh, I won't play you at chess, you've blown me away. I'm hopeless at chess. I'm absolutely terrible. And I just keep the reputation as a great chess player now by never playing chess. It's great. <laughs> and But could you apply the memory methods to learning, you know, the first 7,000 moves in a game or something <laughs> like that? No. The problem with the memory methods I use are more for designed for memorising a long string of information. To memorise chess, where it's more like a branching tree, each move leads to a possible dozen moves yeah. from that. It's more yeah. difficult. Okay. It's, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to think of a way to approach that whole problem. I don't play chess, but I do play Othello, which is my main game. Yeah, and that has, that has a lot of... Um, different permutations to it a lot of people memorize openings me i just blunder through and hope it works out well in the end but i always think that i could perhaps be trying to apply memory to it there's a more finite number of moves possible there but it's still in the millions and billions right and does anyone in the field of the the memory leagues that you're in approach chess or 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 that you know with with the mnemonics that they have you know, I don't know of anybody who's a memory expert who's also become a chess expert. Okay. There probably is somebody, but I'm hmm. not aware. People tend to specialise in just the one thing, in the memory sport itself, rather than other games and uses for it. I've always been a bit unusual in being more of an all-rounder. I like to play quite a lot of board games and mind games, though I'm not particularly exceptional at any of them. It was just to try and get that sense of where you know where where things were coming from growing up, but uh, as you said, it's that's uh, life, isn't it? You always try to get a sense of where things are coming from, and you never work it out. 
not till it's too I late. Get probably sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you you went in, you got into into the working world, you you started doing the accountancy um, in your job, and I presume you went through and studied that as well, and, and kind of became qualified in that. Yep. I can't say it was a great um, use of my time, but that's what I've did. What I still technically do, I'm a financial analyst nowadays. I play with numbers basically, and it keeps me going. Keep it brings the money in, and when I've got enough money, I take a year or so off, wander the world, do memory competitions and things. That's a nice uh, time to to be able to do something like that. I think that's an aspiration of a lot of people to take a long time off and do stuff. Let's talk about your very first stumbling upon of um, memory uh, games or starting to realize this is something I'd actually like to to pursue. When when does does any imagery or something come to mind when you uh, think about where it all began? Yeah, it all began really at the World Memory Championship in 2000, as I say. I took part in it just because I happened to be there at the time and it was going on. Where was it? It was a two-day... Sorry? Where, where did that happen and how did you just happen to be there? It happened in London. It was at Alexandra Palace and it was part of a wider competition called the Mind Sports Olympiad, which oh. has existed since 1997. It calls itself, perhaps a little pretentiously, an Olympic Games for brain competitions. There were competitions in all the board games, chess drafts and that like. There were card games. There were mind skills as well, like the memory competition. There were competitions in creative thinking and speed reading and anything else you could care to think of. I first came across it in Mensa magazine. The first one was advertised there. And there was a competition that they called the World Intelligence Championship, which was five solid days of doing IQ tests which I thought, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I went to that the first year in 1997. From then on, I got interested in all of the other little things that were taking place as part of the Mind Sports Olympiad. And by 2000, I'd got um, well into the habit of going along every summer, trying to compete in as many different sports as possible. And the World Memory Championship was just another one of those. And in the other uh, events that you were competing in for those previous few years, were you, were you winning or coming high up on any of those? I was not a particular world beater in any of them. Okay. Um, let's see, the first year I got a silver medal in um, an intelligence competition separate from the world championship, a, a little one-day thing. There weren't very many people competing in it. I came fifth in the overall world intelligence championship, as they call it. Mm. I did, in fact, I've got a few gold medals at the MSO over the years, but it's not been in any kind of spectacular world-beating ultimate form except for in the uh, world memory championship. Right. So then the first year you went into the World Memory Championship, you went in without any real techniques or preparation, I guess? I'd heard of memory techniques, as I say. I dismissed them as being nonsense. And I went in there assuming that everybody did as I did and was memorising a pack of cards by looking at it, repeating it to myself, closing my eyes, going back through it again, things like that, which takes a hell of a long time Mm. and doesn't really work particularly well. But as I say, I assumed everybody was doing that as well, but just doing it better than me. But in the course of the competition, naturally, I talked to the other competitors in the breaks in between. and They managed to convince me that these things called memory techniques actually did work. Mm. So I was quite interested by that. And the evening of the first day of the competition, it lasted two days back then, I went out to a bookshop. I bought the first book about memory that came to hand, which was Use Your Memory by Tony Buzan. I read two chapters of it, How to Memorise Numbers and How to Memorise Cards. I developed my own, put together my own list of images, created a mental journey, went back to the second day of the competition, tried to use them. (laughs) It's not, 
ideal to come to a competition the day after you learn about memory techniques and but I did notice an immediate improvement and the thing about these memory techniques is the more you keep using them the more you keep improving and it goes on and on and on and I kept getting better and I absolutely loved it right. it's it's occurred with me in a way that um no competition at the Mind Sports Olympiad had before then and I knew it was going to be um, a main thing of mine and just be, just before, so when you did get that first uh, effort of learning the cards, how did you go about trying to memorize all of them? Was it just purely by repeating the pat the pattern, or, or just yes, know, re- like, reading and repeating to myself: three of clubs, ace of hearts, four of diamonds, king of spades, yeah. and so forth, until I remembered the whole list by vote. Wow, took how, a long time. How long did that take? <laughs> The first time I'd memorised a pack of cards, it took forty-eight minutes. <laughs> okay, because I know how I know how, how quickly you did the the record, so I won't spoil that one just yet. But that's uh, quite a marked uh, improvement. Yeah, there was quite yeah. an improvement. Yeah, yeah, I already knew that the world record back then was thirty-four seconds, and I was quite impressed that it was possible to go that fast, even without knowing about memory techniques. It sort of motivated me to try and get faster and better at it, albeit yeah. using a blundering, stupid way. Wow. So, so that was that was the start. So Tony Buzan, you mentioned his book. I've heard he was obviously heavily mentioned or referenced during the the walking with uh, moonwalking with Einstein uh, book. Yes, obviously the whole world memory championship thing was his idea. There hadn't been competitions in memorizing before that point. Right. And and uh, again from that book and I guess from his book that you took there, the, the concept of, of I guess memory mnemonics comes from ancient times really doesn't it those go those go a long way back ancient greece is where they're first recorded but the the principle is very simple it's about turning things into pictures and remembering pictures mm. because that's something that the mind processes a lot more easily than um more artificial constructs like words and numbers yeah so you started to use that and you started creating those i think it's the memory palaces is it can you maybe talk a little bit about you know how you started to create that and was it always with cards initially or were you moving into you know patterns of num- strings and numbers was it yeah i've always designed my techniques specifically for the purpose of winning the world memory championship i don't apply them more generally to remembering anything that anyone might want to remember it's the specific tests that we're given in memory competitions so memorizing packs of cards and memorizing long numbers there are other things like remembering words and names and faces but I've never given them quite so much attention because they're not something that you can create a finite number of mental images for, like you can for each, say, each three-digit number or each playing card. Right. So all of my techniques have been designed for the purpose of winning memory competitions, and I think I was the first top competitor to actually take that approach rather than to see it as a sort of sideline to something else. Okay, so you were um, already doing it for the, for the games, essentially. Exactly, yes. I might, you might call me the first professional memory competitor, memory athlete, they like to say, though I've never liked that word myself because I'm a very unathletic type of person. But um, the basic principle, you use the word memory palace, which is fashionable nowadays, but I didn't hear that until I'd been doing it for a couple of years. I always refer to it in terms of journeys, mental journeys, okay. and placing images along those. So I have a lot of journeys in my head. The first one I created was from the place I was staying, round to the place where the competition took part, took place, sorry. Right. Um, so it was in a, 
I always uh, rented a room in student accommodation during the Mind Sports Olympiad, which is the cheapest and best way to stay in London in the summer. Right. And so my first journey goes from that room around the roads, down the, down into the underground, along the tube line, back out again and down the roads to the Alexandra Palace. I still use that journey now. It's one of my favourites. Okay. Um, but each of my journeys has 26 locations on it. So they'll be in a room in a house or at a corner on a street or any place of interest. And I visualise the objects I turn my numbers and cards into at different points along this journey. Right. So essentially, you'd, if you've got the king of diamonds, that is is parked on a, a bench on, along the way? Or, or how, how do you actually turn exactly, the... Exactly, although I don't picture the king of diamonds itself. For each card, I would have a picture of a person. I mean... I don't do it for one card at a time anymore. I do two cards at a time. But um, you might, I so for each you know pair of cards, I have one picture in my head. If it's the ten of diamonds and five of clubs, it's a ruler. Or if it's the six of clubs and nine of diamonds, it's a table. And but <laughs> the examples you, I'm quoting you are things that are sitting in front of me, as you can get see. Sure. But, but do you? I have two thousand seven hundred and four of these images okay. parked in my head at the moment. So they're all they're all combinations of two cards. So it could be any two cards together. You have an image for those two cards. That's right. Yes. Okay. A lot of them are impossible to explain, but um, they're things that only make sense to me. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's cool. Obviously, when I started, it was the more basic principle. I just had a picture for each of the fifty-two cards. Right. I'm trying to remember what the King of Diamonds, which was your first example, actually was, and I can't. Okay. <laughs> You would so you would turn the card into a an object, into a person, or into some sort of memorable object. Yes, and I'd imagine these people and objects interacting with each other as big, one big sort of long story set a, along this mental journey of mine. So it's it's like reading a comic or watching a cartoon on TV, a, a silent film maybe. And, and then so you initially were starting with the one card, and how how quickly even as you started to improve with identifying your did you just have the 50 is it 50 was a deck of cards 50 52? 52 52 cards yeah sorry so you would have had those 52 images conjured up and over time you would have just started familiarizing and uh speeding that up That's so right. how quickly did you start knocking off from 48 minutes down to uh to something more more competitive i suppose well the first time i tried doing it using a proper technique once i dreamed up my system it took me seven minutes okay. which i was impressed by and i Kept on, kept on improving. Every time I did it, I got a little bit faster. I can't remember how long it was before I broke the one-minute barrier, but um, it was within a year or so, I think. And what sort of times I, were you spending at a, this on a daily basis? Yes, I was very much hooked on the whole memory thing for the first few years. Um, I was spending as much time as I could in the evenings after I got home from work, memorising cards mostly, also numbers. And just practicing and being impressed by the fact that I kept getting faster and faster. Mm. And I realized that there was a limit to how much I could keep doing. Because by the time of the 2002 World Championship, when I was trying to memorize 10 packs of cards in an hour, it's you're seeing each of the 52 images 10 times in 10 different stories. And I realized that didn't work. So right. if I wanted to memorize lots and lots of packs of cards, one after the other, like the top competitors did, I knew I would have to take it up to another level, so to speak. So yeah. it was towards the end of 2002 that I came up with the first 
inkling of what people now call the Ben system, which is um, turning two cards into one image. Was this your, did you originate this? I was the first person to do that, yes. Um, if they put one thing in my grave, it's the first person who thought that two cards is better than one card. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a great achievement, but um, it's still uh, fairly significant in the history of developing memory techniques. Obviously, yeah. a lot of people do it now, but um, before my time, nobody really thought it was, well, nobody even considered the idea. I was, sorry, sorry to keep you on. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I was... I was uh... I was I was going to suggest something even more outlandish and put three together, but uh, does that does that has that happened since? It's not happened yet, and it's I think it's a little too much. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know, with two cards there were two thousand seven hundred and four possibilities. Okay. With three cards, it's fifty two times two thousand seven hundred and four, <laughs> which I can't do in my head, but it's more than a hundred thousand. I can tell you that for a start. It, it's, <laughs> and it's definitely more than. It's just too many, I think. Yeah. You never yeah. know. Somebody might figure out a clever way to do it. The thing about the band system is it codes it into a simple word and you just make the image out of that so it's easy to remember. When, when it comes to three cards, it's a little more complicated to reduce things into one simple concept. But you yeah. never know. Some mad scientist might come up with it someday. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's uh, certainly a, a, the exponential number that it goes to kind of obviously makes it ridiculously uh, beyond our own brain power maybe for the moment as you said but um so you were noticing after that full for, for that full year when you were really hooked on it was it only not only i don't want to downplay it but mainly uh, card counting and and the mnemonics were around the cards or had you looked at other techniques or, or other uh, games i suppose yeah cards is really my was really my main thing as i say there was also remembering numbers which is basically the same exact technique for every two digit excuse me, for every two-digit number I had a picture of a personal object. A lot of it overlapped with the cards list. And when I expanded it, it went into three-digit numbers. There are some people now who do four-digit numbers and so have 10,000 images prepared in their mind. Mm. But um, cards and numbers were really the be-all and end-all of it. Uh, As I say, those are the main focus of memory competitions. So that's what I focused on above and beyond everything else. Right. So then you were making this massive progress, and it was in 2004, is it, when you became the first-time world champion? That's right. Um, At the end of 2002, I took my first what I call career breaks. I quit my job, um, borrowed a lot of money, decided to spend a lot of time travelling around the world, deciding what I want to do with my life. And the idea was to come up with a better memory system in that. And then when I eventually ran out of money and hadn't achieved anything, I had to get another job. That's the point where I got serious about creating my memory system and okay. devoted all of my spare time to doing that, which I don't know what that tells you about me. But um, I was I lucky in that my new job involved a commute to work on the train 35 minutes each way, and I'd spend it cramming these images into my head once I'd dreamed them up. Right. I think I need a bit more structure and discipline to my life. Not that it stopped me becoming a wild hermit again, but... Yeah, to go back to the point, because I drift off on tangents and it's going to make totally boring listening for anybody hearing this podcast. podcast. But to go back to the point, once I dreamed up this system, I'd been working on it all through 2003. And then 2004 was the year I won the World Championship for the first time. And um, that was in in Manchester that year, which was a good fun. The, The World Championship had been mostly restricted to England, but the year before in Malaysia... In Kuala Lumpur, it was a fantastic competition. 
which I really enjoyed. No end. I came uh, third that year. And that's the year you were on, on, on kind of your travels. That's right. Although I'd just, um, well, I'd, I'd come back to work at the start of, well, early on in 2003. Um, yeah. Quit that job. Got another job just after I came back from Malaysia. But um, yeah, that was a year I'd, I'd spent a lot of time working on my memory system. It wasn't still, it wasn't yet up to the top level and so I didn't quite manage to win in 2003 but I did the following year that was a huge leap forward 2003 you came third um, obviously probably becoming more on the radar but but in that world championship was it of cards or was there other events in that there are 10 com- ten disciplines as we call them in each member championship and they're the same format in all of them um, so there are Two card-related competitions in the World Championship. There's speed cards, where you memorise a single pack of cards as quickly as possible. And there's hour cards, where you have one hour to memorise as many packs as you can. Yep. There are similar competitions in numbers, where you have an hour to memorise a long number. And then there's five-minute numbers as well. And spoken numbers, where you hear them spoken out to you at the rate of one per second. And there's binary digits. And there are a few more... um, more of a natural memory kind of thing. There's um, random words and names and faces mm. and a thing that we call historic dates, which is a year against a fictional description of something that happened in that year, and you have to remember the the year itself. But it's mostly all about the numbers and about the cards if you want to win a memory championship. Right. So you're, if, you're, if you're strong in those two games, you have a, a good chance. And I guess every every event in the... It's like a decathlon, right, of, of events. But, it's exactly like a decathlon, yes. There's a standard score of 1,000 points for each of the 10 disciplines, and you score proportionally to that, and the top score wins it. And there's not bonus points or anything like for breaking records or any of that? No, they used to be in the very early days. That system still existed in 2000 when I first competed, but it was 2002, I think, they brought in the new millennium standards, as they call them, the decathlon kind of thing, and it's been pretty consistent at that ever since. Okay, so bringing it back to 2004, back in home home territory in Manchester, you were saying um, you had developed and honed your system, I guess, at this point. Yep. I'd got up to what was in those days a world-beating kind of level, which was very satisfying. If you look at the scores nowadays, the scores I got in 2004 are terrible they wouldn't scrape the top 20 of the world memory championship the scores keep getting better and better at a staggering rate every year it's fascinating do you, th- do you think there's any supplements being taken to help the memory work a little bit faster <laughs> anymore well that's days? a whole other issue people have talked about it in a joking kind of way for many years now nobody can think of any particularly good drug that would be a help to you josh four i know who moves walking with einstein he asked me about ritalin He's American, obviously. They all drug their children over there. But um, it's... Um, I don't know that there's anything that would really help other than, you know, sitting down, working at it and having fun doing it. That's right. what everybody who's won the World Championship has found. Right, right, right. And, of course, there's no law against taking drugs if you can find a good one. Mm. I say there's no law against taking drugs. There's no law against specific performance-enhancing drugs for memory competition. You're not, you're not tested. You're not urine-tested or anything like that at the end of it. Just no, that hasn't sure. come into the whole thing yet. That hasn't come into it yet. Yeah, the movie Limitless jumps into mind. I don't know if you've ever seen that one where they take a pill and uh, they, that whole myth of 10% of your brain has been accessed and you access the whole 90 or 100% with this uh, 
this pill uh, it was a very good movie actually but um, probably you know not, not realistic but uh, no just no, say I've that heard it, saying it yeah no worth a watch but you think the whole 10% of your brain thing is a myth because that's one of the most absolute nonsense things out there there have been quite a few scientific um, investigations into how the brain works in the whole memory side of things I'm not an expert myself but I've had my brain scanned um, in three continents actually in Japan in Germany and in the USA Right. by different people to see what kind of things I do while I'm memorising is that like one of those IF not just an MRI is it an fMRI ones where they'd be looking at how your brain lights up when you're doing stuff yeah that's the thing I don't know the details behind it but there are bits of it that light up yeah. and I think the key point that people have come out with from these experiments is that less bits of my brain light up when I'm memorising than other people's do you give other people a long list of numbers of a pack of cards and tell them to remember it and bits flash up all over as they're trying to think how am I going to remember this what's going on this mind starts drifting off with me it's just and with memory people it's just little bits concentrated in specific areas because we know what we're doing we're focused on that thing and we're doing it efficiently and quickly yeah yeah. No, it's, it's not being naturally brilliant is the key point of all memory competitions it's knowing how to do it yeah like it's I guess talk to other people about the brain and um, the, the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex and uh, it's like a muscle you know you're, you're, you're flexing it you're doing repetitions on it I guess that's why they would call it maybe being a memory athlete because you're you're really uh, building up the strength of that part and and the more you do it the, you know, the better that's it gets right. I suppose yeah. that, cool so uh, at that point what was your, your, your card counting your 52 deck or 52 cards down to time wise well, now I can't honestly remember. <laughs> I know it's a terrible thing to say. I was down close to the 30-second mark, but I can't remember how close I was. 30 seconds was still seen as the holy grail of memory in those days. People often called it that for some reason. They also mm. called it the four-minute mile, which was completely the wrong thing to call it, because a mm. mile is a long-distance race, and this was a sprint. What it was was the 100-metre sprint, and, mm. you know, it was, it was... But getting 30 seconds in that is what everybody was shooting for and nobody had quite done it the record was down to 32 in those days Andy Bell I was a fair way off that I can't remember how far off but mm. the thing about winning the world championship in 2004 is that having achieved what I'd spent all of this time working and preparing towards my motivation plummeted and I just couldn't you know even pick up a pack of cards I just couldn't be bothered for another year or so after that at least so that's interesting so was it like that once you achieved your, your goal, it, it felt like there was nowhere else to go? Exactly. There was a been there, done that kind of thing. The mm. idea of going back and winning the World Championship again the next year, it didn't appeal to me even slightly. Mm. And um, the motivation just drifted away. I tried to keep things into it. So basically, after months of realising I wasn't going to be doing the training that I had been doing before, I decided to find something else memory-related to do. So I spent a good period of time in 2005 memorising Pi, to 50,000 decimal places was the plan. <laughs> so that's the 3.14, right? So to 50. 8.14159265358979323846264338327950281697169399375110. That's the first 50, and that's as far oh, as Jesus. I ever go now. Okay. But um, back then I did. Right. And what I did was. I memorised to 50,000 places. I was still in the process of practising, and I had. I had a date fixed where I was going to recite it and break the world record, which was 42,000 in those days. Wow. Um, I, so I was, I think, six weeks away from the date that I'd got set. I'd been solidly practising. I hope I would have been able to do it. I don't know for certain, because 
at that point, a guy in Japan did 83,000 and took the wind out of my sails something chronic. God. <laughs> Bummer. I know. And then, um, yeah, what sort of, like, what sort of hours were you putting in a day for, for that? Um, it was a long time ago, but yeah, I was spending a couple of hours a day on it again. I'd, I'd like memorize a thousand at a time, practice right. reciting that, move on a bit, go back and recap at the weekends. Hmm. It wasn't a full-time job, but it was a a solid use of my time. Just, I suppose, a couple of ones, just to step back a little bit on the actual competition. When you were in competition against others, did it feel like you were competing against others or yourself? And was there pressure? Was there camaraderie with the, the other or opponents? Or how, how did that competition and everything that goes with that feel or you experience that? Very good questions. The whole memory competition society is a very friendly kind of thing. Everybody's cheerful and, you know, comradely with each other. There's no fierce rivalry. People don't hate each other. People don't, you know, set out to destroy their opponents. It's we've all we've always friends at these things. We share our technique quite happily among each other. Whichever little innovations we've come up, we happily pass on with everybody else. So there's no trade secrets there. I think the main principle behind that is that everybody's brain works a little bit differently. So what works for one person won't necessarily work for another. But we're all very open and talking about it. And in competitions, I really was more against myself than against other people. I wanted to get the best score I possibly could. You know, Winning against all of my opponents was a good thing, obviously. Being hailed as the world champion, I can't claim that it was completely nothing to me. But it was... It was more about doing my best rather than doing better than my opponents. Hmm. Okay. And and um, at this point, even though with the World Championships, there was yeah. four, there was contestants from all over the world attending it at this point, right? Yep. It had um, expanded a bit from the very early days. It was still there was still a definite core of um, British people being the central piece of it, but there was a huge influx of people from Germany. Germany and Austria were big issues in those days. Malaysia, it caught on in a big way. The thing about memory competitions is it just takes one person in a specific country to start interesting other people to really work at it, and suddenly you get a big boom in that particular country. So it's it's taken off in a huge way in China in the last few years. China mm. wasn't such a presence back in 2004. There were just a couple of competitors back then. Yeah. But um, it's very big in Mongolia now. Some of the world's absolute best people are from Mongolia just because of one specific club in Ulaanbaatar, which is churning out young, new, scarily good memory people at a rate of knots and so on. The little pockets appear around the world mm. of memory competitions. Cool. And I, I guess, you know, it's, it sounds very similar to, I don't know if you watch or, or play snooker, but uh, it's kind of... It was very much an English thing initially. It was a, and then it exploded. And now it's huge in China and different parts of the world. And I think that um, has similar yeah. weird parallels, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a fan of snooker in my younger days. I've not watched it so much now. Mm. No, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's another. I suppose it, it requires a lot of memory. Uh, it's a game I'd like to be able to play, to be honest. But I've tried it a few times. I never really got anywhere with it. Yeah, when you are doing the the training or are continually doing it. Does it completely sap energy from you when you're doing this? You know, the the, the brain doesn't yes. just get wrecked, tired. Yeah. Yes, it does. It makes me, it makes me very physically tired, and it's something I've often noticed. If I'm sitting down memorizing for a long period of time, I'm I'm genuinely worn out afterwards. 
after the World Memory Championship, I've always said I have to spend the whole of the next day in bed. I just can't get up at all. Yeah. You just have to recover your mental strength, I suppose, after all of those mental exertions. It sounds silly, but it's true. No, not at all. I think, again, going back to the analogy of flexing muscles, it's, uh, it, it yeah. needs a rest like any, anything else, I suppose. Great. So as we kind of keep going through, so we, 2004, then 2006, you won it again. Um, no, I didn't win again until 2008. Oh, 2008. Sorry, I'm just reading something here. I thought it said 2006. So you took a four-year gap before you came back. Not and quite, no. After the um, whole pie thing, where I decided I wasn't going to do it after all, which was a <laughs> not an entirely satisfactory conclusion to it, but I thought 83,000 is just taking the mickey, and it took him 16 hours to recite the thing. So I thought, oh. no, I will enter the World Championship that year after all. So I did. I went back to the World Championship. I didn't do very well in 2005, but over the course of the next year, I got more interested in it. I was a little better in 2006. I felt I really should have won in 2007, but I didn't quite manage it at the last and then in 2008, I got back to the top again. I won again that year. Right. And all this time, were you you were obviously getting faster? Um, what, were, were you making marginal gains? Were you doing anything different to improve? Had you come up with any no, new approaches? No, really, all I was doing was just keeping on practicing. Every time you memorize a pack of cards, you know, it's a little bit better every time. It's a little bit faster and smoother. You're a little bit more used to it. And it seems to keep going on like that over the years you'll just keep getting better. All of my training was basically just doing the exact same things we had to do in the competition. And I mean, I did achieve a few things between 2004 and 2008, because it was in 2007, if I'm remembering rightly, that I did beat that holy grail we were talking about. And I was the first person to memorise a pack of cards in under 30 seconds. Right. And, and that, um, that was a world record, so was it? It was, yeah. Okay, excellent. And I got it down to 24.97 was my high point. That was in the German Championship, I think, in 2007. Right. And how far, <laughs> how, it, how much more has it even come down since just in... Oh, the world record has gone mad since then. Um, <laughs> I look back with great nostalgia on the days when people thought beating 30 seconds was amazing. Everybody's doing it now. There's eight-year-old kids doing it now. It's shocking. But um, the world record now, I think, is 16.8 seconds, if I'm remembering rightly. Wow. That's an American guy called Alex Mullen, who's far and away the best memory man in the world at the moment. Wow. And does he compete just on cards or, you know, on, on all the other events as well? Because I think... Everyone competes in everything in these things. You don't really get card specialists. Right. It's all about the, the, whole, the whole full gamut of the um, World Memory Championship. And I think you said the pictures and names and faces event. I think that was one that um, I remember from the book that uh, that Joshua was talking about. That uh, you get like a hundred picture, hundred faces, a hundred names. You have to try and match them all up. I think from this early on in the conversation, you said that visualizing pictures or images wasn't uh, or that wasn't one for you. Was that was that one that you found difficult? Yeah, I can't do names and faces. I get terrible scores in names and faces. Even when I was winning the World Championship, I was getting low scores in the names and faces discipline and making it up in the other nine. Mm. It's something I, I'm constantly getting ribbed about by the other competitors, but it's, I genuinely don't remember what people look like. Um, I don't know if, what it is exactly, but I, I can't really picture faces in my head. I mean, Josh Ford, for example, I met him a fair few times filming this book or whatever we were doing, writing this book. Yeah. And, um, you know, had meetings with him, had drinks with him, talked with him. 
And I remember one time I was in New York in a hotel. I'd met him three or four times before, and I was waiting for him to come and meet me in the lobby. And it occurred to me, I have not the faintest idea what this guy looks like. Is he tall or short? Has he got hair, glasses? <laughs> I just have to rely on people coming in and saying, hello, Ben. And, you know, preferably wearing a big name badge with their name in it. Otherwise, I'm hopeless. Mm. Could you Have you tried the technique of, uh, you know, putting these people when you see them uh, somewhere along your journey uh, the memory journey and see that oh, that's well that that's person. what people often say to me and what I reply is no I haven't because I don't particularly want to okay. <laughs> the only reason I do memory competitions is because I find it fun and for some reason some part of my psychological makeup remembering people's names I don't find fun so I don't try to do it right yeah, whatever works, I guess. Um, well, it doesn't work in this case. But it doesn't work, indeed. <laughs> I put up with it anyway. It's a nice icebreaker, if nothing else. Whenever no. I meet somebody, I have to tell them, I have no idea if I've met you before or not. But I'm a world memory champion, but I don't remember things like that. Um, well, one of the things I remember from the book as well was there this concept or this idea. There was a kind of almost like a secret society of memory champions. Was it masters of memory or something like that, like nights at a round table type thing that you had to have, um, I think you do some test or, or two in, behind closed doors uh, that you get then uh, indoctrinated into this society. Does, is that something? You that make you're... it sound a lot more Illuminati than it is. It's a thing that... Um, <laughs> that, was the, that was the purpose, trying to build up a bit of uh, excitement on it there. I can't remember the exact details behind it, to be honest. It was a long time ago, but you have to... I forget, drink a pint of beer, memorise a certain amount of numbers... <laughs> Something like that. It's a, it's a joke rather than a proper society, but it's good fun for everybody. It's the kind of thing we get up to at these competitions. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was certainly um, well explained in, in the book. When, when you won the World Championships, if you don't mind me asking, like, was it, was it a, did things change for you afterwards? Had, had life became, you know, you got obviously some a lot of publicity out of it. I know I've looked at some of your interviews on TV when you were memorising cards. What, what did it do for your... Uh, public image or what changed well it gave me a public image which was um an interesting experience and i'm still to a certain degree famous nowadays which always baffles me but yeah actually when i first won the world championship i didn't get that much publicity from it at all um i did like a couple of interviews maybe on local radio things like that but um mm. it didn't really pick up until a few years later right but um once it caught on, there have been a few good documentaries about it that were being made. The book Moonwalking with Einstein obviously was a big hit. And um, it's, it's gradually grown up since then. I've been on quite a few game shows and TV shows and things. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun diversion more than anything else. Um, I don't much like publicity for the most part, but I, I have had a lot of fun doing TV shows and things. I can't complain about it. It's been just interesting it's i treat it more as a thing to laugh at than a thing to be proud of but it's it's been good over the last few years you're still obviously competing you're still doing it well, on a regular basis i'm not seriously competing nowadays i wish i was but after i won the world championship the second time in 2008 that i had the same issue with motivation again and it's never completely come back since then i won again in 2009 but i was really mostly coasting on the work i'd done for the year before and ever since then, I've, I've had the deteriorating motivation. I've not been able to steel myself to keep up with the people who've now surpassed anything I ever did. If I maybe could if I tried. Maybe I couldn't. But I, I can't find the motivation to force myself to try. I still like to go along to memory competitions. I've um, 
I've been organising my own competitions just to get more people into it. I've been running a competition I call the Friendly Championship in Britain since 2006, and that goes on every year. I'm running another one this year in um, in London as part of the Mind Sports Olympiad, which will be nice because it'll be 20 years since the first one, and I'll be running the memory competition there this time. Okay. But um, I'd still like to be a proper competitor and work hard and try to win the world championship again. And you never know, maybe I will get that motivation back someday. But for the moment, I'm semi-detached from the memory world. I'm still friends with everybody. I still turn up for competitions when, I have, when I'm in the mood. But um, yeah. I'm not as serious as I used to be. And do you notice even the age profile of the people that compete? Um, is it a young man's sport or a young person's sport? Or does, is there people that are doing well, you know, even in their 50s? Yeah. And, yeah? Good point. Actually, many good points that can come out of that. It is something that anybody can do. In It is a competition that anybody can do, regardless of age, gender, nationality, anything like that. That's what's so wonderful about memory competitions. It's universal. It's not a young man's game. But it used to be more of a stuffy old man's competition when it first started. Mm. And it's turned into more of a thing where the top competitors are more young, enthusiastic people. Alex, the world champion at the moment, is very young. I forget how young, but probably about half my age. I'm 40 now. And um, a lot more young people are into it now than used to be. But then again, there are still plenty of old people taking part in it, people well well older than me competing head-to-head with the young ones. It's a fascinating competition. It really is. Mm. And it it doesn't seem as if... Is there any studies or what you've witnessed that, like, your memory ability to memorize fades with age or anything i don't think so not with this very specific application of memory anyway right this is always something where if you keep practicing you'll keep getting better i don't think age has anything to do with it and i'm sure brain cells die off or whatever the technical term for it is as you get older but if you keep using these ones if you keep practicing you will keep improving and whether you're old or young it's probably best to start it when you're young. Me, I was 23 before I heard of memory competitions. Now there are people winning the world championship before they get to that age. But um, it's always something you can take up however old you are. And I'd recommend it to anyone. Yeah, and on that, I suppose, it, you know, the, the theme of this show is, is kind of helping people become a little bit better in whatever area we focus on, be it... You know, meditation or health. Uh, this is certainly the first time we've talked kind of around memory. Is there any kind of simple techniques or tips? The memory palace one for me is quite simple. I, I think uh, you know, even if you were, I think to go to a dinner party and meet ten new people, if you can somehow remember their names. I know you said you've challenged remembering names. Uh, yeah, I'm not one to talk to about that. For the me, that's, yeah, but, are very simple. It's all about. Firstly, thinking in pictures, think visually, you know, close your eyes, try to picture something before yourself because your mind processes visual information like that better than it does more conscious thoughts. And the second thing is to associate one thing with another, link one thing in your head. Have, well, if you're memorizing a pack of cards, you have your image for one card doing something to the image for the next card, doing something to the one for the next. So it's a big long chain. So you remember one thing, you'll remember the whole lot. Yeah, and it's that's really what it all boils down to—the very, very simple techniques. Mm. And if you just spend a very little bit of time working on those, you'll find your memory improves by leaps and bounds. 
Yeah, and I was struck by the example that uh, they, they kind of worked through in, in the book where they talked about the memory or the image you create the most, the more outrageous, the more provocative even, uh, the, the better. I, I remember almost, I do remember one of them where they said you were walking through your, 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 the front door of your house and you looked to the, to the right and you saw... It was Claudia Schiffer in a in a bath of milk. I I I seem to remember that for some reason, uh, even weeks afterwards. But is is that is that what you do? You said you're you're you have a creative mind, so the more outlandish, the better. That's right. Um, um not that I visualise Claudia Schiffer in a bath of milk. Um, I think that's an Ed Cook thing. But you know, it's it's whatever takes your particular fancy. Yeah. Myself, I'm I watch a lot of cartoons. I read a lot of comics. So I have a lot of um exaggerated strange looking characters in my head rather than people but right. it, you know it varies from one person to another but yeah the more memorable you make it the more memorable it will be obviously yeah yeah it's as simple i guess as as that um how do you think it has improved your your life i guess in general i know you got that bit of celebrity out of it which you maybe maybe didn't expect or you know even enjoy as much as maybe you thought but does it improve your day-to-day life in general or is it, I think from what you said, it's very detached, but has any other good has come out? very detached personally. A lot of people sort of see it as a more integral part of their yeah. life. Myself, I see it as a strange hobby that I do in my spare time. But as I say, it, ha- it has made me, I think, a, a different kind of person. Just because whenever I talk, people now assume that I know what I'm talking about. And so they listen to me, which makes me a bit more um, cautious about expressing opinions and things. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's also given me more of a um a dedication i find i can devote myself to tasks more than i could previously i was always flitting about from one thing to another once i found memory and i spent huge amounts of time working on improving myself in that i think it had a knock-on effect in other things that i do although you know i'd already passed all my exams by the time i got serious on that so i've never sort of tried studying for qualifications and things which is the number one question i get asked yeah but um I suppose I'd probably be better at that now than I am than I was previously. You mentioned on the other people that actually do maybe apply it or make it more integral to their to their day to day. Is there any specific things that they've said that jump out that have have improved their general life? Well, I'm trying to think. To be honest, people sort of tend to sell memory techniques as an abstract concept that makes you more efficient. They they push it as being the kind of thing that will get you a good job and so forth, or pass your exams the kind of things that some people care about but I sort of well you know me I'm dismissive about the whole thing as I am with everything else mm-hmm. which gets me in trouble with other memory people so I'm, I try not to say that at interviews but I can't think of any specific thing that people have said that yeah. their life has improved in a, in a specific way by memorising numbers apart from being able to win memory competitions I'm sure it'll come back to me there's plenty of good examples out there but um, I don't tend to think of them myself no, that's okay. Just, the kind of lesson you want for in this in this podcast, is it? Sorry. No, no. It, we look. It's it's all about one uh, percent better. You could be one percent. We one percent better after listening to it from a from a happier, more enjoyed, enthusiastic perspective. So that's good as well. Um, has it been? Happiness a, is the number one thing, I think. So if exactly. this makes anybody even remotely happier, then I'm all in favour. Well, if somebody laughs at one point of it, that's that's good enough for me. Um, <laughs> and they're probably laughing at me at this stage anyway. Uh, but from the perspective of prize money, has there ever been a big, massive checks coming from from the World Championships? 
much more than I deserve, certainly. It varies from one year to another, depending on whether they found a good sponsor, but there have been some memory competitions with very generous amounts of money. I mean, we're not talking about millions, but I've come away from competitions with more than 10,000 okay. a couple of times, I think, which is fabulous. Yeah. For memorizing a few numbers and cards and things, it's mind-boggling. So yeah. I'm eternally grateful to the people who organize these competitions. Yeah. It's not something you can make a living at doing, but it's it's something you can make a bit of money on the side now and then if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, like I certainly had no clue of what sort of denominations that would come, but I suppose as it's becoming more popular, uh, especially with, you know, you said China and other countries getting involved, more of a global presence, it, uh, it may even bring bring further wealth hopefully for those that uh, that uh, compete let's hope so yes i mean i'm not in the prize money myself at the moment but i'm sure there's plenty of other people who'd be wanting to win it if big money comes along again yeah you, are you aware of any irish memory competitions that go on is there something a similar society over here i, I tried to do a bit of research i couldn't find much about it in, in ireland there's, i don't know that there's ever been a competition in ireland there have been a couple of Irish chaps who've come over to England and other places and done competitions. There was a guy called Charlie Garavan who was a lot of fun, who came to the World Championship in 2003 when it was in Malaysia, I remember, and a few ones around that. There was a more recent guy called Conor Muldoon. I'm just trying to name-check as many people as I can. I can't think sure. of any other Irish people. We need <laughs> we need to expand into Ireland, obviously. Yeah, there's a there's a market for you guys over here. You can do a bring a tournament over we'll uh, we'll do a lot of pod- live podcasting at it it'd be great um, fantastic i look forward to it do yeah absolutely cork is a, is a great city for for uh, all sorts of things do well if you are interested in holding a competition we have a lot we have a really good new thing that's taking place at the moment it's what we call the memory league which is a little different kind of competition that's being established in you know places around the world there's been world championships and now we're moving into having separate one in each country so perhaps we can bring an an irish franchise into that but what that is is it's head-to-head competitions on computer and it's very fast memory you have one minute to memorize as much as possible and beat your opponent in a fast time if you can well and it'd be like a quarter-final semi-final final sort of thing is it yes if you have a look at Memory League on the internet, you'll find a lot of interesting things there. And you can train yourself online and you can compete head-to-head against people on on the internet. And it's going to expand into new competitions live head-to-head as well. That's the big thing that we're all excited about in the memory world at the moment. So if Ireland's another country that would want to take it up, then we're all in favour of it. Brilliant. Well, like what we'll do, just, you know, we wrap this up in a few minutes. Maybe we can just talk about you and uh, how, how people get in touch on that because... If, yeah. if something, you know, somebody listening to this might say, well, I'd love to try that and get involved. You know, we, we might be creating the first Irish champion as we speak here. So that, that'd be I a, hope so. That'd be a positive. Anybody who does a quick search for me on the internet can find my email address, I'm sure, and send me a line. Or else go to one of the useful memory forums. There's one called artofmemory.com. Yeah. I think it's .com. It's called Art of Memory anyway. And I'm to be found on there. So say hello in there and I'll say hello back and we'll see how we can motivate each other together compete for the world championship in a couple of years time that's it your email address is online you can email i can share it on the show notes of this podcast at, at the end when it goes up as well if, if you if you so wish just a, a couple of maybe a final couple of questions what have you learned about yourself as you've went through this journey of being a memory champion anything stand out gosh what have i learned about myself I've learned that I'm surprisingly good at this strange thing called memory competitions. I've um, I've met a lot of good friends through these things, and um, 
I think I've I think that if I have one lesson out of it it's that everybody has something lying hidden in the shadows perhaps out there that they'll find is the thing that they want to dedicate their life to again I know no no I like I like to get, we're getting deeper here it's good um it, it, it would that be my next question was around advice that you could give that you might have been given that sticks in in your mind or, or maybe that's maybe that's the piece of advice you know that everybody has something in there you've maybe answered uh two and one there or yeah advice try new things keep try as many new things. things as you can and see what sticks always good to keep keep trying things have you developed you know, the habits, I suppose, that you've developed during your training and preparation and practice, have those sort of habits in any way transferred into your day-to-day life either? Is there things that you would, um, and I don't mean the techniques, but more good habits come out of what you've done? You know, Has it improved your ability to focus or things like that? I think generally my focus has improved, yes. I... I still don't approach things in a specifically methodical kind of way, but I think I do do more as a result of the hard work I put into memory because I have planned that out and structured it in a more in a more sensible way than I generally think I approach things in my life. But I've I've spent I've yeah organisation. I think I'm a more organised person in some ways now than I used to be. Hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine so. You know, it might be again. I mentioned subconscious or subliminal almost, uh, but uh, it it can only if you're bringing some of these techniques that you spend a lot of time doing, you you might just transfer that in, and and maybe that's a, a, a tip for people that would like to to test this out. What about m- movies or documentaries? Uh, I always like to ask about people's movies or recommendations around. Is there anything that you would recommend that um, you've seen around maybe memory that people could watch that uh, would be of interest? The sad thing is, I don't watch many movies nowadays. Or TV shows. People keep talking to me about the new Sherlock Holmes thing where he uses memory palaces and things, but I've never watched it. What's the name I of it? I don't know if that's good or not. Uh, it's either called Sherlock or Elementary. There's two different Sherlock Holmes things out there at the moment. I can't remember which one it is, but they go into memory palaces on there, apparently. Okay, interesting. And But um, there have been a few documentaries about the World Memory Championship. The best one, actually, was the one called um, Mentalists, The Mentalists, which was all about the World Championship in and the build-up to it in 2007. That was very nicely done. Okay. That was good fun. There were, there's quite a few others out there as well. But that's different to a mentalist from a kind of a magician-type person as well, right? <laughs> yeah, the mentalist. It was, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. They right. wanted to call it Warriors of the Mind or something. I said, that's a stupid title. And they said they were playing around with the mentalists, and I said, no, please call it the mentalists. That way we can all at least laugh at ourselves a little bit. But, yeah, it's... <laughs> Very good. And what about books? Is there anything you've read? Uh, I know you mentioned Tony Buzan at the start. Um, other books that you've used or that, that has helped you kind of dip the toe and develop your, your skills? Honestly, the only book I've ever read about memory techniques is that one of Tony Buzan's that I bought on the okay. evening of the first day of the World Memory Championship in 2000. And I've still only read two chapters of that, the ones about memorising cards and memorising numbers. I've still got it on my shelf. I've never looked at it. And I've got a few other memory books that people have given me that they've written and maybe even signed and said, you're a great memory person, Ben, or something like that. I've never read any of those either. I'm terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But there are plenty of books out there. But the techniques are very simple. So if you pick up one book, it'll tell you what you need to know. They'll all say the same thing. And you can build on it from that and Mm. develop your own 
specific memory system for yourself. Yeah, and I guess another piece of advice that I've probably picked up from what you're saying, and like a lot of things that when people try something new, be it running or snooker or trying to memorize a deck of cards, they don't expect to do it overnight, rapidly and really fast take take it you know take a bit of time bit by bit and see those little bits of improvement exactly so but the cool thing it. about memory techniques is that immediately once you've learned to memorize a deck of cards you'll find you're doing it much much faster than you really thought was possible it's mm. it's something that gives you immediate results memory techniques i think that's what a lot of people like about them mm. a lot of people go into it thinking nobody could ever remember a pack of cards and then you sit down you work on it for a couple of hours and you find that you personally can Right. I, know I like to do monthly challenges and the deck of cards one was something I've wanted to do for a while. So we're coming into July. So I'm going to try and um, over, you know, a few hours, maybe, well, I don't know if a few hours every day, but between the whole month. So you're saying if, if I was to approach that, I get the 52 cards, identify 52 objects for those 52 cards. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so that I could almost just run through the deck and know straight away what that object is. And then kind of apply that journey through through a house that I'm familiar with, or a, yeah. A walk. I mean, it doesn't come to you immediately, but it's it'll come to you very quickly if you sit down and work at it for a little while. Right. So if I put in like an hour a day for the month, you think that would? You'll uh, be memorising cards no problem by the end of the month. I promise you. Okay, sounds good. It's something I'd like to be able to do as a little party piece. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know what what uh, trouble that might get me into, but I uh, might try and put a few bets and see if I can surprise people. But now that I'm saying it on this, if anyone that knows me listens, then they'll probably know what I'm doing. So, but look, that that sounds like a bit of fun, anyway. Um, ben, any other final comments? Any other things you'd like people to know about around the memory championships, or just memory in general that they could uh, take away or, or even get in touch about? Uh, basically, just have a look at it. If you've heard anything remotely interesting in the course of this interview. Type memory competitions into Google. See what you can find. There is a lot of stuff out there. You'll find some very weird and wonderful things. And, you know, you've maybe discovered a life lifelong interest or at least a cheap party trick. The last comment. I'm just reading again on your uh, your bio. There's something here about you featuring, uh, predominantly featured in a music video for DJ Shadow's single, Scale oh It Back. Oh, my gosh, I haven't even mentioned the music video. Yes, <laughs> Tell me about this. Perfect example. If you want to know how we memorise a pack of cards and the kind of things we visualise happening in our heads, they recreated it with actors and puppets and costumes and things wow. for a music video. So the actual things I visualise when memorising a pack of cards are in that music video. It's called Scale It Back. It's by DJ Shadow featuring Little Dragon. Have a look on YouTube. It is fantastic. You can Excellent. skip through the start with me in it and just watch the interesting images. It's I, I recommend it to everybody. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, I just uh, I'm glad I brought that part up. Now I'm actually just looking at DJ Shadow. He's an American. How did he? How did you even get connected? <laughs> well, I can't say claim to be a massive fan of DJ Shadow. I'd never heard of him. But the two uh, directors who created the idea, um, Ewan Jones, Morris, and Casey Redmond, they'd come. They'd heard of memory techniques somehow. They came to me said we'd like to put together a video of your um, mental images memorising a pack of cards and I think they took that basic idea before they'd approached any music people they hawked it around the music world for some reason DJ Shadow said yeah sure why not <laughs> and it came on from that 
I mean, DJ Shadow isn't really a singles kind of person. He's an albums guy, but he releases singles now and then, and I guess he puts a video to them just for the sake of having a video to them, and that's how it came about. Oh, that's very cool. Um, so you were in the music video? Yeah. It starts out with me memorising a pack of cards and giving a brief waffle about how I turn them into pictures of things, and then it just turns into the first image which was the five of hearts and three of hearts which is a hummingbird flying into a giant snake which is the eight of clubs and two of clubs which is beating a tambourine which is the ace of clubs and three of diamonds and so forth and it goes through all of these images excellent it's, definitely... it's the most amazing video and we have to show it to everybody who's right. interested in memory competitions absolutely well i'm definitely going to put that on on the link uh, on the the show notes at the end um for people to check into uh, i'm going to watch it myself now i just i just uh, didn't realize that until i read it there so yeah no that that's a, a lovely way to end um i'm talking to a world champion and uh you know a famous celebrity from dj shadow's music video scale it back so it's a you've multiple strings to your bow there uh, ben oh yes i'd love to do more music videos if anyone out there is making one <laughs> is your singing voice uh, up to scratch you've heard my speaking voice for the last hour or so how do you think my singing voice is uh, I don't know I've heard a, a lot of um, you know strange and you're not saying your voice is strange but UK voices are a lot of good singers as well so I wouldn't uh, I think they're very they can be very um, deceptive no I'm a bit of a devil at the karaoke but you have to get me drunk first alright well look if you ever get to Cork ever get to Ireland we'll uh, definitely try and meet up and uh, we'll, uh, I owe you a few beers after, after this <laughs> I'll take you up on that I promise you Sounds good. Ben, look, we'll, we'll leave it there. So um, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, have a great uh, weekend, Ben, and it was a pleasure. Yeah, you too. Have a good one. Take care, man. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll, we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.